Coming up on Studios America, Jack Helmuth joins the program to reminisce about the late, great Norm Macdonald. Joe Biden is slowly discovering that Joe Manchin just isn't that into him. And what if I were to tell you that I've solved the pandemic? Fixed, over with, stabilized. Well, you better believe it because we're about to do the pandemic solution. Stu does America. Uh, there's so much stuff going on today. Let's start the program with a quick solution to all of our problems. <laughs> That's all. That's all I have for you today. Let's take a little inventory of where we stand with COVID-19. At this point, there are three groups of people. Group one, the comfortable unvaccinated. They're unvaccinated, but they're comfortable with the risks associated with that decision. Group two, the comfortable vaccinated. These people are vaccinated and feel like the shot is protection enough to be able to be comfortable going on with the risks and resuming normal life. And then there's group three, the terrified, uncomfortable, weeping, scared, vaccinated wusses. Now, they, these people are vaccinated, but they feel like that's just not enough to be comfortable with the risks of resuming normal life. The media often frames this situation as vaccinated versus unvaccinated. But that's not right. Groups one and two can live in perfect harmony. They make their own decisions and they accept their own risks. The only group that presents a problem here is group number three, because their comfort depends on the actions of others. Everyone else can take care of themselves, but group three, those people, need people in group one and group two to wear masks and have all these restrictions to make them feel comfortable. And while, yes, we can pretty easily say, yeah, but they're wrong, so screw them. I get it, that's true. But take a second and think about this from their position. I wanna do my best here to make the steel man as opposed to straw man version of their argument. A group three person feels like they are at risk of dying and the only thing putting them in danger is you and I who won't wear our masks. That's why they have to force us with mandates. Because of our actions, they can't control their own risk profile. Group one can, group two can, but group three can't by themselves. Obviously, I don't agree with that analysis. But that's how they see the world. And it's not unprecedented if you think about it. For example, take drunk driving. And the drunk driving equivalent of this breakdown, let's say group one really likes their whiskey and they're going to go drive drunk and just try to make it home. After all, they actually drive even better when they're drunk or something like that. Group two would say, I don't drive drunk myself. It's too dangerous. But I'm comfortable out on the roads taking the risk of encountering an occasional drunk driver. Maybe I won't drive around on midnight on New Year's Eve, but other than that, I'm pretty much okay. But almost all American citizens would fall into group three. Group three is not going to drive drunk, but in addition to that, they don't want you driving drunk either because it puts them at risk too. Therefore, they want a mandated ban on drunk driving. The only way to fix this situation for everyone is to take the people in group three and put them in control of their own health. That's the only solution. If the group three kind uh, of people, the, the people who are in that group that's vaccinated and still really nervous about everything, 
If those group three types have to depend on group one and group two to keep them safe, they're never going to get what they want. And they're always going to be angry at those other groups for putting them in danger, real or imagined. So how do we solve this? Is there a solution to this puzzle? Yes. Yes, there is. That's what we do here on this program. This show is pretty much Patrick Swayze uh, in Roadhouse. When you have a bar that's jam-packed with bar fights, you bring in Patrick Swayze to end the argument. Usually, he does it with throat rips. Um, <laughs> and that's what basically what we do here, too. People are constantly fighting about everything, and then we come in and rip everyone's throat out. It's very difficult to argue when you don't have a throat. That's just science. So here is the Roadhouse solution. How do we get the Group 3 people to be able to be in control of their own safety and health? The answer? N95 masks for people in Group 3. Hmm. The people in Group 3 have a different way of looking at the world. The problem with the regular cloth masks that we're always, you know, we hate are complaining about all the time is to whatever extent they actually work, they are source control. You've heard it a million times. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. You know that thing? We've heard it a zillion times. But if you're in group three and you're dutifully wearing your mask, you're not protected from, you know, Cletus and the unvaccinated, unwashed masses who are at the same grocery store. Why do they let those people in all the time? The problem doesn't exist, though, with N95 masks. You probably already know. We have one right here. We probably already know that N95 masks filter almost all of these viral particles. Here's a snapshot of one study which shows that cloth masks struggle to block even half of the particles. But N95 masks blocked 99.6% of them. So we know N95 masks protect the person wearing them. This allows group three people, the vaccinated wusses, to protect themselves and not depend on Cletus from group one to protect them. So, and by the way, I will say with Cletus, you, you're not gonna do very well decapitated, even if you're wearing a mask. COVID is the least of your worries in this situation. So what are the problems with all of this? Well, back in the day, you'll remember, March, April, May, 2020, N95 masks were nearly impossible to find. They were ultra rare. Now. N95s and KN95 masks are everywhere. Here's some on Amazon. You can walk into any Lowe's or Home Depot and you can pick some up. Capitalism has already solved this problem. N95s are now widely available. Why aren't the media and government recommending them for people who want to wear them? Why try to force people who don't want to wear masks to change their behavior, an obviously uphill battle, when we have quality masks that can be worn by those who do want to wear them. Now, they are a little bit less breathable than a cloth mask, and that's true. But first of all, spare me your complaints about comfort, Group 3 people. You've been telling the rest of the country to get over their complaints about comfort for the greater good for like two years now. You don't get to complain about comfort. However, Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse has a solution to this, too. They're called N95 masks with valves. The same protection for the person wearing the mask, and you can exhale as easily as you can with no mask at all. That's why some places don't like them so much. They're on Amazon right now for two bucks each. Some, uh, I will say there's some issues here you can come up with. Of course, there's always the fringy thing. You can come up with a one in a million solution. This person has no face and they can't breathe in any situation. What do we do for them? I got it. 
We seem to be in the middle of spending, I don't know, $10 trillion. Maybe we set aside a few mil and buy them for people in group three who can't afford them. I'm sure that is an expenditure both group one and group two would be excited about, especially if it comes with a promise to shut up. Now, some places don't like the masks with the little valves because when you exhale, there are no filters. But good news on that front. Group one people and group two people have already told you they're comfortable with that risk, so we don't have to worry about it. Again, why are we begging everyone to wear less effective masks rather than asking just those who want to wear them to wear far more effective masks? So this is how it works in practice. If you're in group one, you're unvaccinated and unmasked, and you deal with the risks of that decision. If you're in group two, you're vaccinated and unmasked, and you deal with the risks of that decision. And if you're in group three, you're vaccinated and you're masked with an N95 mask, and you can almost completely eliminate every risk in your life. That is until you walk outside and get run over by a drunk driver. If you run a business, HR issues can just kill you. Uh, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. I will say, like, I have gone through my life and thought there are business ideas that I have that I think would have been good ideas. Who knows? But I'm kind of afraid to start them because I don't understand any of this. I'm always afraid I'm going to screw something up, some regulation I'm going to break. You know, I who knew you couldn't work uh, 12 year olds for 45 hours a week? Who knew? Um, HR managers do know that and they they can help you with this. Of course, they cost like 70,000 bucks a year and you might not have that sort of cash. Bambi spelled B-A-M-B-E-E -E, was created specifically for small business. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email or real time chat. Everything they handle, uh, onboarding, terminations, uh, they can customize your policies to fit your business and they can help you manage your employees day to day all for just 99 bucks a month, 99 bucks a month. I mean, any business can afford that 99 bucks a month, month to month, no hidden fees. You can cancel any time. Take this worry away from you. Go to Bambi.com slash stew right now. Schedule your free HR audit. It's Bambi.com slash stew. Don't forget the uh, spelling of that. It's B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash stew. And the slash stew part of the address is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Bambi.com slash stew. I want to bring in Jack Helmuth uh, back to the program. He is the co-host of Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a podcast which you should definitely immediately subscribe to. Jack, how are you, man? So good to see you, Stu. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, of kind course. Of, uh, kind of a, a rough week, I think, for a lot of people who were massive fans, of course, of Norm MacDonald. Um, you know, it's interesting to kind of look back at his career, the reverence that has been sort of uh, displayed in his direction here over the past few days has been really remarkable for a guy who, you know, I guess is best known for his SNL stuff, but was just an incredible innovator. In a, a voice unlike any other, um, you know, so many comedians are derivative of other comedians. You know, they sort of borrow the styles of other comedians, uh, but not Norm. Not Norm. He had a voice that was so unique and so his own that um, everyone respected him. He he was just all about being funny at all times. He just loved telling jokes and loved making people laugh. And he had no other agenda other than that. 
Yeah, he, that, uh, it was wonderful. Makes him really different, I think, than uh, what we're seeing out there today. I, it feels like he is uh, just standing there against the current for such a long time as comedy moved into something somewhat unrecognizable. I, I, boy, I could not agree with you more, Stu. It, it's so interesting. You know, basically every show on late night TV, in my opinion, uh, starting around 2015, just became The Daily Show, a different version of The Daily Show, where they all told the same jokes, all showed the same clips of Fox News and were outraged by them and um, and all told the same jokes about Trump. And now let's be clear. You should always make fun of the president as a comedian. That's sure. You should <laughs> always, always do that of every president. No doubt about it. So, of course, that's welcome, but it was always – it's just the same point of view. It's the same. They stopped being funny. They stopped going for laughter and started going for clapter, right? Clapter is when, oh, I agree, instead of instead of like a surprise, instead of a laugh. And how can you be surprised if the punchline is always the same, if the punchline is always, because Donald Trump's stupid. There's no surprise in it anymore. So right. you clap and like, yay, they said the thing I believe, but it's not funny anymore. Yeah. Norm was not like that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was watching a, a documentary, a sports documentary recently, and they were looking back at uh, the, of 2016 and 2017 was part of the documentary. And they were talking about a particular sketch on Saturday Night Live about Donald Trump. And at the time, I didn't even remember this, but he it was a time he brought all the people with fast food. Uh, you know, the, they, I think it was Clemson won the championship and they brought all the players in and they just got McDonald's and all this fast food. And yep. he tweeted about it and he he tweeted the word hamburgers instead of hamburgers. And mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live's take on that was just to do the same thing to have him open up a box and it just said hamburgers, which is actually just the thing that happened. And that's like, a, that's really where we got to. It was just people, there was no more comedy left. They weren't even trying anymore. Again, you are so spot on with that. They didn't have a take anymore. They yeah. just repeated things. There was no like, <laughs> well, what is our take? What is our interpretation? What's the way to sort of see things? They just didn't do that. They were they were they hated Trump so much that they couldn't. It's almost like they couldn't have a clever take on it. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I want to go back um, in your career, because, I mean, if people don't. Jack worked here at The Blaze a while ago. He also has a great podcast right now. But you go way back in comedy and you worked at Saturday Night Live and you tweeted the other day that Norm Macdonald was the first person who ever said your words on television. I thought that was remarkable. You knew him. What kind of person was he like behind the scenes? He was a uh, great um he is very special to me. He's very important to me. So when I was, uh, I was a nobody, sort of like I am now, but uh, <laughs> even more of a nobody. Uh, and he, so I was working at the front desk at Saturday Night Live making 400 bucks a week. And he walks by one day, sort of guessing probably because I'm a doofy looking white guy that I want to be a comedy writer. <laughs> That's what we like to do. And so we said, hey, Jack, you want to uh, submit some jokes to Weekend Update? And I'm like, yeah, well, gosh, of course I do. And so that week I wrote 10 jokes. And I thought I was like, oh, my gosh, look how prolific I am. I wrote 10 jokes in a week. And one of those jokes made dress rehearsal. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I could get a joke on. And it didn't play that well. 25% yeah, of the audience laughed. So I'm like, oh, well, oh, well, wasn't meant to be. And they put it on air because they just liked it anyway. They just thought it was a smart joke. They thought it was funny. And um, and and afterwards, they just said, you know, hey, we liked it. We thought it was funny. So if the audience didn't, that's OK, because because we liked it. And um, six weeks later, Norm was fired. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, no direct correlation there. Uh, we don't think. I don't or, know. There's causation. Maybe uh, there wasn't causation. There was some correlation there. Maybe. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Clearly, they had they had lost uh, all sense of judgment. No, and so he he was fired from the, the really the only job he loved. He was the cast member who just wanted to do week, weekend update. He wanted to do what he called the fake news. You know, he was the one who called it fake news mm. first back in 1995, 96, 97, and so he was fired from weekend update. But he was still on the cast, so he still had to be on the show. He still had to be in the office. He still had to show up for work because he was a cast member, even though he lost his job. And so he was very sad by this and. Um, I, I had to go upstairs one day between the dress rehearsal and the air show. And he's like, hey, Jack, you got any jokes there on update? Because Colin Quinn was hosting update at that point. And I told him, yeah, I have two jokes on dress, but they didn't make air. And he said, which two jokes? And I told him and he's like, oh, I know those two jokes. They were so funny. I'd, I um, I would have loved to, uh, I, you know, if I was hosting, I would have put them on. And that, there was no bitterness to it. There was nothing but support for like a 22-year-old kid who – you know, just wanted to tell jokes and to want to write jokes and to somehow make it. And and he knew the jokes and he supported me and, and still followed the segment and supported Colin. Just nothing but love. He was such a lovely, lovely, lovely man. I mean, he had a few demons. He loved his gambling. Um, we, he came back for the 25th anniversary show of Saturday Night Live and, and just hung out with us all week. And so um, in the research area at Center Live, there were four TVs with four different cable boxes. And so we were watching on a Tuesday night four different baseball games. <laughs> and he had $3,000 in each game. Wow. <laughs> and and he didn't even remember who he had. So he's like, hey, hey, you know, I, hey, Lojo, who do I have in this game? And she's like, okay, you have the Yankees in this one, the Red Sox in this one, the Braves in this one, and the, and the Dodgers to score under eight runs. And so he's like in the fourth inning, like it'd be a ground out to short. He'd be like, you get that bleeper out just on a ground out to short it was so funny so he, he had his and that's not telling tales out of school he's very open about that um so he was a very interesting guy he was very filthy but he believed in god he was loyal and lovely and caring and interested in humankind and wasn't interested in political nonsense and loyal he was just a loyal lovely person ah it's great i mean you know it's one thing watching him because he's one of these guys that is He's one of the people that like, you always see this with certain uh, musical artists, that every big musical artist mm. re refers to them as inspiration. I mean, Norm Macdonald was on that caliber with comedians. Comedians loved him maybe even more than the public loved him. Um, and exactly. he really just stood there and completely rejected this idea that because he was a public figure, you had rights to his life. You had rights to his personal time and his personal life. Um, I think that was pretty interesting because I got the sense watching the last, you know, couple, the last few years, that there was a real growing reverence for Norm Macdonald. And mm -hmm. I thought after this happened, maybe that was because, not just because he was great, but also because people kind of knew he wasn't feeling well and thought, you know, there was a little bit of that stuff kind of showing before he passed away. But I mean, multiple people, including uh, Bob Saget was one of his best friends. Bill Maher knew him pretty well. No one seems to have known that he was fighting cancer for 10 years. Yes. When I when I found out on Tuesday, I just found out that he died. I had no idea he was sick. And I texted someone at SNL who was extremely close to him. One of his best friends performed with him. That person had no idea. I mean, I'm I'm in tears on Tuesday and, and none, no one knew. No one knew. And because he didn't want to earn praise or laughter or anything that wasn't deserved. It's about being funny. I want, want you to see me as this one thing, and you don't need to know my personal stuff. Uh, as Bill Maher said on Jimmy Kimmel the other day, I'm not here to burden you. I'm here to lighten your burden. 
you, you don't need to know my crap. I'm here to make you laugh and take a load off of your life. I'm here to make your life better. You don't need to worry about me. I don't need to share my nonsense. Like what an ultimate entertainer that is. And and he didn't ever want to pander and he didn't want to get a laugh that was undeserved. Hmm. Uh, it really is. a It's an amazing it's an amazing story. And and and. I think it really just hit people off the side of the head, you know, as this happened this week. You guys did yeah. a special uh, episode uh, of your podcast about Norm Macdonald, you and Brian. Uh, what made you do it? I was driving home from dropping my daughter off from school, and I was so sad still. It was Wednesday morning, and I was crying again. Norm just meant the world to me. He was the password on my uh, uh, all my email accounts for like 10 years, back when you could just have four letters of Norm. <laughs> you probably still could get into my Yahoo account, uh, everybody, if you want to, with Norm <laughs> as my password. Um, and he he just meant that much to me. He was so kind, and, and he was my comedy idol, and he, was, he, he stands for something that I miss so much in entertainment, which is – not having an agenda, just the agenda of making people happy, of making people laugh. So he meant so much to me. And I thought like, oh, darn it. We recorded our episode of our podcast that's released every Thursday the day before, like an hour before we found out the thing. I was like, darn it. I wish I could have had a chance to say something. I'm like, wait a minute. I have a podcast. I could just do a whole new episode and just talk about Norm. What the heck? And we recorded 45 minutes later and released it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, and people can check that out. Uh, it's, uh, it's, of course, uh, questionable material with Jack and Brian. Um, I want to kind of uh, to move a little bit. It's the same sort of conversation, honestly. And we were talking about Bill Maher. And yep. I, he's just he's another one of these guys that I think is a really interesting person. There's very few of them, I find, in media. Um, and and I don't agree with Bill Maher on a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, we if we would not want to vote for the same candidates, we would not agree on mm -hmm. a lot of the same policies. But one of the unique things I think about Bill Maher and Norm Macdonald was the same uh, way when he was talking about real things and not just doing comedy, is that I actually believe they believe what they're saying. And that is so incredibly rare these days. So many yes. people I feel like are just coming out there and they know what they're supposed to say. And, you know, they're, they're not going to challenge their audience. They're not going to say anything um, that disagrees with whatever the talking point of the day is. Like you turn on Bill Maher, you don't know if he's going to side with you or not. And that makes him fascinating. Right. I couldn't agree more. It's it really is the only comedy show like it again. The the moderate or conservative audience, so that's you know sixty percent of the country at least, has no voice in entertain in, in comedy entertainment. It's all the same. Like I said, it's all derivative of the Daily Show. So it's all the same point of view. It's all the same um, uh, outrage. They can only write comedy through their outrage. And Bill Maher has a, a, actually a different point of view. And you're right. He has a core set of beliefs and you can agree with them or dis uh, disagree with them. But they are his. They are not – so many liberals in comedy will come up to me and they'll say like, I'm afraid to say what I really think mm. because I disagree with this. I, I don't know the trans athlete thing. I kind of don't agree with that. But I can't – they are frightened to death of being canceled, of being um, blacklisted, of – um, you know, people wouldn't come on your show because like, oh, my gosh, that must mean yeah. you're a right wing nut. And so they would, there, there's just so much fear in comedy now, so much fear of saying anything that's not in the the 10 percent Huffington Post headline grabbing um, uh, set of beliefs that you're allowed to have. You can only have the one set of beliefs. And if you stray on one point, then you're Sean Hannity. You're crazy. <laughs> You know, and and so so conservatives, 
are finding Bill Maher to be refreshing. And, and it's the, it's the AOC branch of the, the new socialist sort of liberals who like hate Bill Maher yeah. because, you know, even though they might agree on 70% of issues, first of all, he's a white dude to so screw him, but also, um, he, he goes against the grain. He's against wokeness. He's against a lot of the garbage. And he, he said, um, here's a quote from him, uh, from Bill Maher. When people say to me sometimes, boy, you go after the left a lot these days. Why? I'm like, because you're embarrassing me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who else doing, does it? No one. Yeah. No, it's true. He, he's been doing this a lot lately. We actually have a, a clip um, uh, from his show. I think this is uh, maybe a week or two weeks ago. Uh, here's okay. Bill Maher from uh, Real Time. To me, when people say to me sometimes like, boy, you know, you go after the left a lot these days. Why? I'm like, oh. because you're embarrassing me. Yeah, there you go. That's why I'm going after the left in a way you never did before. Because you're inverting things that I am not going to give up on being liberal. This is what these teachers are talking about, that, that you're taking children and making them hyper aware of race in a way they wouldn't otherwise be. You've inverted the idea. We're going back to that under a different name. I mean, that yes. is super consistent and, and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And also completely invisible in almost all entertainment. It's exactly right. There's just there's that, that voice is not there. It is the voice that I am so hungry to fill in entertainment. It's why I it, my favorite job ever was not Center Live where there was a bigger audience or the nightly show with Larry Wilmore. It was the show that I did with you guys on The Blaze mm. because we could just do anything. We could just tell jokes about everything with no agenda, just trying to be funny but, and never talking down to people. In terms of like, oh, my gosh, you believe, um, you know, in these conservative ideals, you must be crazy. You must be any of these condescending things. I don't I don't want to condescend to an audience. I think people are lovely and I have no interest in doing that. But I, let's make fun of everybody equally. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, you know, going back and watching some old Norm Macdonald clips from this uh, from this week, I went back and watched some of his stuff from when he was doing Weekend Update. And honestly, it was shocking. Mm-hmm. It, he was, yes. I mean, he did about five straight minutes of nonstop Clinton bashing when Clinton was president. Oh, yeah. And, you know, again, it was all, I think, in good humor. And, and he was making fun of the world the way he saw it. It wasn't like a conservative diatribe. It was just him having fun with what everyone was talking about. And he had no fear of infuriating the AOC left. There, it was just, you know, this is what's funny and this is what I'm going to do. It, it, that's exactly right. And and Center Live back then did, you know, of the three years I was there were all Clinton years and probably 80 percent of our cold opens were Clinton being a cheeseburger eating cad, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, talking about ladies, you know, bodies and just being a goober, you know, because that was what was funny because he was the president. And that's what you do. And um, and that is not present today. But, yeah, go watch those norm clips because he will say things. Um, it, it doesn't matter. He he will say it. If he thinks it is funny, he will say it. And those clips are priceless. They really are. They did not care. And it was totally different, not only from what we're seeing with you know Biden now, but all, through the Obama era as well. I mean, it it felt like a totally different world watching that show from the 90s. Uh, Jack Helmuth, co-host of the Questionable Material with Jack and Brian podcast, special Norm Macdonald episode up as well as their uh, normal uh, every every week. Uh, awesome podcast. Um, make sure to uh, subscribe to that wherever you get your podcast. Jack, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Thank you, buddy. I love you. You're the, you're, you're the, you're the best. Thank uh, you. Thank you. I love you too, Jack. Thank you. 
Do you like a good snack uh, throughout the day, but you'd rather not pack on the pounds doing it? No one wants to look like your lovely host here. You want to have something that's healthy, something with high levels of protein, low levels of sugar, low in calories, high in fiber. You need Built Bar. Built Bar has nine normal, like they're kind of everyday variety of flavors, which are incredible. Coconut, mint brownie, du double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, and a few more. Plus, you can get the mixed box. You can try them all. They have nine flavors. You get two of each in the box. Or they have like these kind of like, they just, they're just like, they're like, they're like mad scientists. They just come up with these great flavors that they just kind of release for limited time as well. So keep up with their social media feeds because there's always something new. 180 calories or less, four to five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. You wouldn't know it by tasting them though because they taste amazing. Now you can get your Built Bars uh, even faster. Save the time of typing bar. Built.com. Built.com is the place to go. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code STU15. You'll save 15% off your first order. Use the promo code STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. Promo code STU15. We now know whenever you make a controversial overseas call, the only way you can defend that action is to call the, make the, to call the call, to actually call the call perfect. That's what you do. It was a perfect phone call. We learned that from uh, Donald Trump long ago. It was a perfect phone call. Now, guess who's using that defense? Uh, General Milley. It was a perfect phone call over in China. He actually says uh, the calls to China were perfectly within the duties and responsibilities of his job. I was worried about this at first, but now that I know it's perfect, no need to worry about it anymore. Um, one thing that's interesting about this is this comes from the new Bob Woodward, Robert Costa book. Uh, Woodward, of course, you know, uh, been around for a very long time, has a bit of a famous history, but also has a famous history of kind of making things up on the fly, seems like. Um, some, of the, some of the details in his books, not all, they don't always stand up to uh, strict scrutiny. Now, Robert Costa is, a, from all uh, appearances, a pretty good journalist. He was, he was at uh, the Na uh, National Review for a while. Um, he's been at the Washington Post now for a while. Um, so I don't like there's this interesting thing going on right now. People are hammering Millie and Biden um, about this story, about what Millie did to basically undermine the Trump presidency. And there's a real reason to do that, though we don't know for sure if it was true or if it was um, uh, it was told the story was told accurately within context. That's essentially their defense. They're saying, look, you know, we made these calls, but there's lots of people on these calls and they were totally fine. They were perfect. I will say it's it's a weird place for uh, you know a Trump supporter to be in because if you take this as gospel the way it was reported in this book then theoretically you are taking the contents of this book seriously and many of them I have not read it yet it doesn't come out till next week but many of them are not going to be complimentary of Donald Trump I mean th this book is going to be filled with 98% Trump bashing and 2% Millie bashing and so I don't know, do you take the 2% seriously and blow off the 98 or do you blow off the 98 and take, I, I don't know what you do, um, but uh, that's something to think about as you, as you go forward. We know they're not telling the truth though from the Pentagon and the White House on down. We now know with a confirmation on a Friday afternoon that yes, the reports are true that when we were supposedly killing a terrorist in Afghanistan, we instead killed 10 Afghan civilians, including seven children. The military is now admitting that. They are saying it was a mistaken attack. They missed their actual target. 
who were militants that thought they were thought to have a car bomb that may be used at the airport as we were in the middle of the catastrophic evacuation efforts. Uh, it was a reversal of the Pentagon's position on the August 29th strike from just days ago when military officials said they believed the strike was justified. Not so justified when you're just blowing up innocent children. We tend to find that less justified than blowing up terrorists, though at this point we're pretty much embracing the terrorists over there. Uh, they're, in fact, responsible for the security of American citizens and American green card holders and more. So I think that's going to go pretty well. I think we're going to look back at this and say, you know what? That worked out well. I mean, I believe it was Jen Psaki who said there's no other way to look at it other than a success. So if you happen to be one of the people who are, were injured in the attacks or maybe you're one of these, uh, maybe you're a family member of one of these 10, 10 dead in, in Kabul, civilians seemingly trying to actually help people. Well, I guess you can take to uh, take a little solace, I guess, in the idea that it was could not be viewed as anything other than a success. So you got that going on for you, which is nice. Uh, the multi-trillion dollar bill that is winding its way through Congress right now is in, a, in an interesting state. They want $1.2 trillion for the infrastructure bill that they sort of have uh, sort of agreed on. The House, however, will not vote on that until we see what the other package is. The other package is a Democrats-only $3.5 trillion bill. Now, this bill started at $6 trillion, at least that was what was recommended by Bernie Sanders. He said, hey, you know what, I'm going to compromise and come down to $3.5 trillion. Now, that's completely ridiculous. I don't think there's any chance uh, that $3.5 trillion is going to get through at this point. Uh, it, I hate to say that because it probably will now. Now that I've jinxed it, it probably will go through. I do expect something to go through, but it's going to be less than that. It might be 2.7. It might be 2.2. It might be 1.7. To get this through, they need Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Now, so what do they do? Joe Biden invited them to the White House and schmoozed, basically, or forced or tried to push or whatever you want to call it. Um, Joe Manchin is sticking by this idea. He's going to keep the bill at $1.5 trillion. Now, still, what a win. We're spending $2.7 trillion we don't have after a year where we spent $6 trillion or $8 trillion on COVID. So, like, this is not a victory by any sense. I obviously would like the bill to be as uh, small as possible because the appropriate number for the bill is $0 trillion. In fact, it's $0. We don't have this money. We can't do these things. We're already, when we're just coming off the biggest spending year in U.S. history, even if you want to take the best view of that and say we were in the middle of a pandemic, we didn't know what was going on, we, we needed to, we were telling people to stay home, we obviously had to float their lifestyles for months and months and months on, on end, fine. But like, the recovery from that is not to go out and spend 4.7 more trillions of dollars. You go the opposite way. You want to be careful with your money. You're more careful because remember that that, you know, that those trillions of dollars that we spent on COVID didn't get us anything new. All we did was float previously existing lifestyles and previously existing businesses that before COVID we didn't have to pay for. And we just were like, what if we pay for the entire economy for a year and a half? Let's see what happens. You don't come out of that and spend trillions of dollars more. It's incredible. Um, by the way, in March, uh, when Biden's uh, COVID-19 relief package was in danger of failing, he called Joe Manchin and said, if you don't come along, you're really effing me. 
This is according to the same book that had the Milley quote. This is a, a book from uh, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. Manchin eventually voted for the bill. I've said this a million times, and I still believe it, though he's been, he's held out longer than I expected. The idea that Joe Manchin will not save you, if you're depending on your country staying afloat because of Joe freaking Manchin, you're in trouble. You're down a, uh, down a road you don't want to be down. You don't want him to be the difference between you know, financial insolvency and, uh, and success. He's not, he's not that strong-willed. Now, he may be strong-willed enough to drop that number from $3.5 trillion, but I can guarantee you we're gonna, they're going to pass something. At that point, it becomes an AOC issue. Can they keep the squad together if they cut it from 3.5? And what the squad wanted was $6 trillion. They cut it from $6 trillion to $1.5, and they lose 75% of that funding. Does AOC stick around on the House side of things? All I can say is if you have a Twitter account and you can authentically encourage AOC, hold the line against Joe Manchin. If you don't get your $3.5 trillion, do not vote for that bill. You're wonderful. I loved your dress. It was great. If you can do that, encourage her, because if she can hold that line somehow, which I doubt she will, but if she actually has principles and holds that line and says, if Joe Manchin doesn't vote for $3.5 trillion, I'm not voting for that 1.2. Maybe we kill both of these things. I doubt it, but it's really our best shot until 2022. Back in a second. Your home is probably your biggest investment. You need to protect it. You need to make sure that you uh, do all the things uh, that you're supposed to do. And, and one of the big things that people do is to you know, live in a house for a long period of time and build up equity. And then at some point in their life, they say, you know what, now's the time. Now's the time to pull the trigger. We're in a good market. Let's sell this house. Let's move somewhere else. If you're in that position, you need a real estate agent that can take advantage of the situation. Even if you time things perfectly right, you might be one of those people who uh, wind up selling your home for less than you could have had. Maybe the real estate agent prices uh, the house incorrectly. I had a house that I sold uh, years ago now that they, you know, the recommended price for the real estate agent was too low, I thought. I was like, let's put it on for another $10,000 above that. We got the asking price like the first day. If I had listed it for $10,000 or less, I would have had $10,000 or less. These decisions are massive, so you need to have someone you can trust. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. You can get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Check it out. If you're buying or selling a home, get the best price at realestateagentsitrust.com. So we've been talking, we talk a lot about vaccines and COVID. I mean, it's kind of been the entire arc of the show. We started the show like three weeks before COVID showed up. And I, some people blame me for bringing it here. You know, this show is the, responsible for the pandemic. I think that's irresponsible reporting, uh, though there's some evidence to back it up. Um, but one of the things we've been talking about recently is the idea that, you know, the Biden administration is always saying, follow the science, follow the science, following the science. And, you know, I look at this stuff all the time and I, I bring it to you and try to explain it in, a, in the, the easiest way possible. And and, you know, I don't really care which way this stuff goes. And I but I will say, like, I Sometimes the science says supports what the administration is saying. And I'll usually tell you that. I mean, I might say I don't agree with it because of personal liberty grounds. But, you know, the science might go one way. But 
there's I don't know. I can't see it. Everything that I have seen says that it is not following the science right now when it comes to particularly booster shots. It's leading the science. It's basically predicting that we think there will be some fall off in efficacy of these vaccines in the future. And therefore, we should have uh, we should have uh, uh, booster shots. The science doesn't seem to be showing that at all. Now, we have lots of extra vaccine doses. We are a very wealthy nation. If you want to have an extra booster, I mean, I, okay. I mean, I, I think maybe you should probably pay for it. But other than that, I don't know that it's much of an issue. Uh, so they went to the FDA and the, and the administration who said, who criticized Trump like crazy for uh, pressuring uh, agencies for his own political wants and needs, uh, went and, and, and did a basically public announcement that we were going to have these boosters before any of the science was in, before the FDA even looked at it. So finally, today, the FDA had its big hearing about whether they were going to, to recommend boosters for everybody, and they came back and slapped Biden in the face. They said, no, this is just breaking this afternoon, and it wasn't close. The vote was 16 to 2 against recommending boosters. Again, this is becoming political here. The science does not show that you need these boosters. And they keep saying, well, we're going to recommend them. We're going to recommend them. We're going to recommend them. And now the FDA has come back and said, look, we've looked at this stuff. And there's no reason to be doing this. Now, if you're in a certain, if you perhaps over a certain age or in a certain risk category, there may be some uh, justification for that. Um, but as of right now, that's where we stand. It really a, a, a massive and, you know, uh, I don't know, an extraordinary defeat in public for the Biden administration as their big recommendation goes down in flames. We'll have more as it develops. You can always watch the show for free on Facebook. Uh, check it out there. And when you go to Facebook, make sure you set us as one of your favorites. Uh, we really appreciate that. And you'll actually see the content, which is not always easy uh, to do on some of these big tech uh, platforms. But yes, Facebook, you can check it out. You can always comment live on the show. This one comes in from Scott. Don't, estimate, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Barry Obama 2020. By the way, Barry Obama actually did say that, at least from reports. Uh, everyone knows that Joe has an ability to F things up and it's pretty serious. Don't forget to re review the podcast and subscribe wherever you are. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Uh, Stu explains it all. Thank you. Five stars. I mean it. I wish it were 10 stars. Whatever. That's from Jenny 451. I mean, she likes it that much. Imagine what the previous 450 Jennies think. I mean, they really like the show as well. Uh, don't forget uh, to uh, do all that stuff. We appreciate it whenever you give us a review. Uh, it's not only good for this show. It hurts other podcasts, which is the most important thing. Okay, so here's what happened. Remember all these like tr these little trends that go on social media with the youngsters, the Tide Pods, the the milk crate challenge is a new, is a new one. They had the thing where they were licking the toilet seats when COVID first started. Remember that? Yeah, we should obviously be destroyed. That's but that's not the point I'm making right now. There's a new one out there. It's going to be coming to you soon. It's in the UK now. It's called beaning, and beaning is when they take a bunch of baked beans and like pour it on your car. To annoy you. And look, we fought the Revolutionary War once. Look, Britain, you send that stuff here, we're going to go for round two. And you've seen how tough we are in Afghanistan. I'd be, oh no, wait. <laughs>